You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcasts and YouTube and Facebook land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. We're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. We are so glad to be on with you again, this opportunity to share with you the word of God. Uh, and uh, it's a labor of love. And I tell you, my wife and I, we are really thrilled I think we're fastly approaching 6,000 downloads and listened to an audience that's worldwide now. And uh, I tell you, I'm just really, really happy uh, to be in service to the Lord. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a great opportunity uh, to share. But let me just start off by saying this. I'm not the type of individual who is just looking to pick a fight with someone or those who have a different eschatological construct than I do. The reason, ladies and gentlemen, that I teach the way I teach is, well, it's for a few reasons, but the main one is it is for a heartfelt compassion for my brothers and sisters. Number one, there is a vast ignorance to eschatological subjects and doctrine and teaching in many churches, number one. Uh, when the coronavirus hit, I, I never will forget, as a matter of fact, one of my podcasts during that time, if you go back a couple of years, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, um, there was a, a lecture that went viral. And it basically said that the coronavirus was the response to 5G signals, frequencies that are being emitted now 
uh, and the what they were calling the coronavirus really wasn't a virus, but it was our body's response to being bombarded with 5G signals. <laughs> I mean, just ridiculous. But this went viral, and the the gentleman, uh, the, the person on there, he had a British or Australian accent. His suggestion was, since there was this these emission of 5G signals, our body's response to it, then what? And people were going to start getting sick. The government's response was going to be to create a vaccine that would be a vehicle for administering the mark of the beast. And people just did not know how to respond to that. I mean. I, I got calls from people and ministers and lay people are like, uh, what do you think about this and all that? I'm going, it's, it's obviously, it's ridiculous. How can you have the mark of the beast before the beast gets here? It's his mark. It's the number of his name. He would like have to be here. And if the beast is here, there's all kind of thing, other things that fall in place that also have to be here, like the temple, all of that stuff. But anyway, so... The temple in now, Jerusalem. Um, so anyway, it was. It's, it's always been a passion of mine uh, to study and teach eschatology. Uh, my my first book was written in 1994. I traveled all over the U.S. with it. Uh, came out. Uh, it's out of print, but you could probably go to eBay or somewhere online and look it up. Unlocking the door: Key to Biblical Prophecy. Um, uh, by Dennis James Woods, and uh, I, I had to buy a copy of it myself. I'll probably reproduce the book under my own publishing company because I, I was with a, a publishing company that was named Huntington House at the time. It came out in 1994. So I've been studying and researching this, all of this information for a long time. The real impetus for it is not to make a name for myself to say, ooh, I'm right about this, y'all wrong about that, or y'all wrong about this, and I'm right about that. It's not that. Look, listen, in my, <laughs> I'm 65 years old. I am not interested <laughs> in a name for myself. Uh, I, listen, I'm just not at that place in life where, it's, where that's that important to me. What's important to me is not to waste my time with things that really don't, well, I, it's just, it's a waste of time. I don't, I, I don't want to do that. I am concerned that not only is there a huge ignorance in eschatology in a lot of these churches, but not only that, the most popular rapture theory, in my opinion, is setting people up. It's setting people up, ladies and gentlemen. The reason why it's setting people up is because it's the position called pre-trib that teaches that the church has no relationship to the tribulation period, the book of Revelation, none of that. It has no, no we're not going to even be here for any of it. And um, that's the problem. You see, because if the other positions are wrong, such as 
I teach a version of pre-rap. My pre-rap, I say this all the time, is not the same thing as Marvin Rosenthal and uh, Dr. Kirshner and uh, 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 the other people that uh, uh, teach pre-rap. Mine is different. But you, uh, if mid-trib, pre-rap, and post-trib are wrong, and pre-trib is right, and we're all caught out of here before the tribulation period starts, or Daniel 70 weeks should be better stated, starts, then, and that's how it pans out, then fine. No one is hurt in that scenario because, as pre-trib is said all the time, we all get raptured. If you're born again, it doesn't make a difference with rapture doctrine and belief. If you're born again, you're going to be raptured when the Lord comes. And the Lord knows, may not any of us be right, because he didn't tell us everything. Okay, and there's a lot we don't know. All of these positions are theories, ladies and gentlemen. They are not proven facts. Unfortunately, when people teach pre-chair, they teach it as a fact. They don't even understand that the scholars that write this call it a position. It's a position. It's what they believe they think will be right, but they're, but they're not dogmatic about it. Now, the people who don't know any better become dogmatic about it, but they don't even understand the scholars that teach it understand that their position is theoretical like the rest of them. But the bottom line is this. If the other ones are wrong and we're raptured early, fine. But ladies and gentlemen, what if pre-trib is wrong? And I keep saying this, ladies and gentlemen, because if pre-trib is wrong and the church is still here, then what that means is the information that we have in a book of Revelation is not just informational. At that point, we have almost a play-by-play -play of what's going to happen during that time. And then all of a sudden, Revelation would take on a new characteristic. It would take on a new emphasis. It would take on a new meaning because it is talking to that last generation of church saints. You see, if you preach trip, we're gone. But if pre-trib is wrong, and, and, and I actually have proven it is wrong, I, I, I dealt with some of the top scholars in the world on this, and they and I showed them where main tenets of their doctrine is wrong. All you got to do is listen to the rest of my podcast. Glory to God. And we're going to be listening to one of the top pre-trib scholars around today, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. I'm actually going to play some of his uh, uh, videos, uh, some, uh, some of his teaching, and we're going we're, we're gonna to deal with it. But... The reason why I'm saying this, if pre-trib is wrong and the church is still here, then that means the church is still here doing the Antichrist. And so what Revelation 13, particularly 13, 14, and 15 teach are critical at that point. And, and, and it's information that because people have pre-trib, that they don't even look at it. They don't even consider it. Most churches teach pre-trib. So we have the potential of a disastrous response if the church is still here doing the Antichrist and you have all these people who thought they were going to be gone. Ladies and gentlemen, and you have people like Dr. John MacArthur teaching that, hey, and if you are here and you get the mark of the beast, you can still be redeemed. See, with teachings like that coupled with 
a doctrine that's telling you you're not going to be here. We're not going to go through this. Revelation doesn't have any relationship to the church after chapter uh, uh, three. The church is gone. The word church isn't mentioned. All of the pre-trib talking points. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it's not that I am against people in pre-trib. These are my brothers and sisters. You guys are my brothers and sisters. I, I'm not doing this because I just got a bone to pick. I'm doing this because I see the potential for hundreds of thousands and millions of people being negatively impacted if this thing doesn't go down the way pre-trib is just about guaranteed it's going to go. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a theory just like the rest of them. And so Pre-trib allows people to say, ah, oh, we're not here for any of the trouble. I don't have to study this. I don't have to know this. That's, and it may be an unintended uh, 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 consequence. It may be, be an un un unintended response. Excuse me. The people that uh, are right pre-trib may say, well, we didn't, we didn't mean for people to get lackadaisical or nonchalant about prophecy because we're saying we're not going to be here. Maybe, maybe they didn't intend it to be that way, but that's what's happened. You, ha you have people who say, you know, um, uh, we're not going to be here. I don't read that. I'm just waiting on the rapture. None of that stuff applies to me. We're just not going to be here. And on top of it, I don't want to hear it. If you teach we're going to be here during the tribulation, that's false doctrine. That's this, that's that. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know how easy it is for me to get up here and just teach what everybody else teaches and just go along with the crowd? That's the easy route. That's the easy thing. I wouldn't have people talking about me now. I wouldn't have people not wanting me to come to their church and things like that because I don't teach the doctrine that they teach. It's just me much easier to get along. I, I can get along real good. I can have all the friends and be accepted in all the circles. Oh, he, oh, he ain't Petrie. Oh, he teaches that stuff. Oh, just be much easier to get along. But God has given me a calling, and I have to be obedient to it. And it is my job. It is my calling, my purpose in the earth realm, to be to give you the other side of it so that Christians will embrace the book of Revelation and embrace what it teaches. All right, enough with my introductory remarks. Let us get into our lesson. And so again, I just thank God for all of you and the mighty in the matchless name of Jesus. And so I'm just getting everything set up here. Uh, for those listening to me on uh, my podcast, uh, you can't see the screen. I'm do actually doing a PowerPoint. And so we're actually, uh, I'm actually preparing the screen uh, for this. And so this is why I'm, uh, I, I sound distracted, but I'm really not. <laughs> I'm about to start... Uh, all right, the subject for this lesson will be comfort one another with these words. Our thematic text will be uh, taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Glory to God. And so I think that this will be 
a wonderful lesson. But before we get into the lesson, to support this ministry or to send comments, you can send donations or comments to Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries, Post Office Box 1239, Mattison, that's M-A-T-T-E-S-O-N, Illinois, 60443. Or you can call us at 877-267-7477 or email me at PhD Ministries, the number 400 at att.net. Now, I'm going to, after I teach this lesson, I'm going to be starting a whole new series, ladies and gentlemen. It is going to be the end times, uh, but it's going to be a specialized segment of eschatology, and it's going to be based off of my book, Counterfeit Charisma, The Age of False Prophets. You know, one of the signs that Jesus talked about in the last days, there would be many false prophets that show signs and wonders that if it were possible, they would fool even the very elect. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to do a detailed multi-segment series on my book. I encourage you to get a copy of it. They're available everywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere books are sold. Uh, uh, you, can, you can order the books if you go to a Christian bookstore. Our distributor is Spring Arbor. And uh, just go in there, give them my name, Dennis James Woods, uh, Counterfeit Charisma, The Age of False Prophets. Obviously, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, you could get it at, uh, I'm pretty sure Christian Book Distributors has it. Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they do. Christian Book Distributors, uh, or I believe Walmart has it, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. You can get it from iTunes, Google. You can get the eBooks, Nook. It's all over. The, and, and the book is available all over the world. So any of you that are living outside the United States, you should be able to order the book. Uh, glory to God. Uh, so... Um, uh, you don't. You can go to the nearest Amazon. You don't have to. You don't have to order it from the American Amazon. I'm in several. My book is in several stores throughout Europe, the United Kingdom, Russia, China. You know, uh, uh, Africa. I don't know if on the continent of Africa. I think the closest for those of you that are in Africa, like South Africa, you may have to get it uh, from a, a, a bookstore that is closest to your region. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, wh wherever you would get uh, American author books, uh, but you would be able to get it there. Uh, and this is going to be a very wonderful series. And so I just wanted to give you a words up on that. Amen. So let's look at our thematic text. First Thessalonians chapter number four, verse 13 through 18. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, for sorry, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen to sleep. But this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so I think this is one of the major, one of, uh, it's, it's a few rapture scriptures that they use, um, uh, that pre-trib uses, but particularly, and not, not just pre-trib, but this is, this is one of the rapture scriptures, one of the main ones. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 would be almost just as detailed as this. Glory to God. And there's others. Glory to God. So first we want to look at the word comfort because Paul says he wanted them to comfort one another with these words. As a matter of fact, let's look back at the passage, the eight, verse, verse 18, where my, where my cursor is. There in blue it says, therefore comfort one another with these words. So what we're going to do is we're just going to be, do a basic word study on the word comfort. Uh, for example, now there, there are different words in the New Testament for comfort. We're going to talk about three of them. This is no way an exhaustive teaching. I'm not a Greek scholar. I have access though to the best Greek uh, uh, lexicons, uh, but I'm not a Greek scholar. We're only going to do a, a three of these words that is translated in English comfort. Uh, for example, in Matthew chapter uh, 922 from the KJV, it says, but Jesus turned uh, him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. So the word there is thoraso, thoracio, uh, uh, and uh, it means to be uh, cheer, cheerful, cheerfully, cheerfulness. Uh, the Strong's definition down here at the bottom in the blue, it says to have courage, to be of good cheer. So this is a comfort. Be of good cheer. You know, uh, be, be, you know, of good cheer. Okay. So now we're going to get another example. Uh, in John 11, verse 19, KJV, it says, And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. We all know the story. Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus, of course. They were obviously bereaving here in this situation. Uh, now, this is a different Greek word. Let me do my best to pronounce it correctly. It's paramotheoahi. It's, it's a, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I just killed the pronunciation of it. And um, I didn't have my... Uh, my Greek reference, my pronunciation tool, but let me do the phonetic again. It's paramotheoahi, mahi, or something like that. Paratheo mahi. Uh, now, what that means is to comfort, uh, com uh, consolation, to console, you know, from the strongs. It's uh, to encourage, to console, to comfort. That's another uh, word that's translated uh, in English to comfort. It is that uh, uh, word as well. That means to console somebody. Let's go to the next one. Uh, listen, now the next one we're going to use for the word comfort is the one that we find in our thematic text tonight. First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter number four, verse eighteen. It says, "Wherefore comfort one another with these words." Now that's paracleto. 
paraclet, paracleto. And so now paracleto is, that's more of a word that means to call near, to invite, to invoke, to beseech, to call for, to comfort, to exhort, to entreat, to pray. Okay. Now, BDAG, which is the, the top of the lexicons, gives four uh, uses of the word. The first use is to ask them, ask to ask to come and be present where a speaker is, to call by one side. Now, this is the word that is similar to Perikletos when it talks about the Holy Spirit. And he's the one called alongside the comforter. Okay? So it's very similar to that word. The second use is to urge strongly, like an appeal, or to urge, to exhort, to encourage. The third use is to make strong a request for something, a request to implore, to entreat. Number four, to instill someone with courage or cheer, to comfort, to encourage, to cheer up. So as we see from these different words to comfort, we get a range. Some of them to be of good cheer, to make somebody happy. Uh, some is to implore other things, other other people to do something like an, an, an encouragement, an exhortation. And this one, uh, we see that is what this one is all about, is to beseech somebody, is to entreat, is to exhort, is to uh, uh, comfort one, to encourage them, to urge them, to strongly appeal, to implore, to entreat. So that's the comfort word that we're dealing with here in our thematic text. And I wanted to just do that brief survey so that uh, we would understand. I wanted to kind of give you a range before we get into being a definitive concerning the word that is in our text uh, here. So. First of all, when we look at the fourth chapter of First Thessalonians, I'm sorry, the uh, yeah, the fourth chapter of First Thessalonians, the point of this text was not to give a comprehensive study on eschatology. Okay, uh, this is pastoral, uh, and and its approach here. Paul is being is telling this fledgling church because. Uh, 1 Thessalonians was uh, among Paul's first epistles that he wrote. This was a new church in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians were going through. And so Paul is addressing several subjects. One of them was eschatology. Excuse me. Now, he does get into some eschatological things, but it's not a complete survey of Daniel 70 a week and the trumpets and all that stuff like Revelation does. Uh, uh, Paul's uh, encouragements and eschatological points that he does make in First and Second Thessalonians are pointed around the day of the Lord. Okay, so uh, he doesn't get into... Uh, uh, you know, the birth pangs and all of that. He doesn't, he doesn't go there, but he, he does uh, give some. But the point that we're dealing with in this passage is not a comprehensive study on eschatology. 
It was not, to, neither was this text to argue the timing of the rapture. You know, it's not, it wasn't about that. It was not to identify the events surrounding the rapture. It, that's not what he's doing in this, in this text. The point was to address the sorrow that some of, some of those at Thessalonica had whose loved ones had already died, Christians, loved ones. That's what he's dealing with here, okay? Many Christians believe that the Lord was coming during their lifetime, during the first century. Which it, it was typical, you know, uh, when you look at even 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, 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 John says, you have heard the Antichrist is coming. He said, even now there are many Antichrists. This is how we know we are in the last hour. He said, my dear little children, we're in the last hour. You have heard the Antichrist is coming. He said, there's already many Antichrists. They anticipated the Antichrist. Many of the first century writers, people like, uh, well, not first century, but, but early Christian writers, such as Tertullian and stuff like that, uh, uh, or Ignatius, or um, uh, Saprian, Bishop Saprian. You know, a lot of, in their writings, if you look at them, they anticipated an Antichrist, okay, and having to deal with it. Glory to God. And so, that, so first century Christians, uh, 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 they, Paul and Peter and them gave them eschatology, okay? Uh, and they had an anticipation, and many of them believed that Christ was going to come back uh, in their lifetime, like all the generations do, uh, particularly like this one. Um, it was believed that if the Lord came back and took away the living, what then would happen to those Christians who had already died? That was the question that was bothering or, 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 or had uh, some concern about the Christians at Thessalonica. Because you have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, this was a persecuted church. They were being persecuted so bad, they thought they were in the day of the Lord already. And, and, and some of them had thought they were in the day of the Lord and they had already missed a rapture by the time we get to second Thessalonians. Paul had to hurry up and write them folks back because they, they were going, they were starting to head out in the left field. Okay, not knowing how to face this dilemma, the Thessalonians were experiencing anxiety, worry, and sorrow over this issue. What happens to my aunt Wilma that just died she was a Christian and the Lord comes back. She already did. So what happens to them? So this is the issue that they were having. Their, sorrow, their sorrowful posture concerning the departed were, were as hopeless as those that were in the world that didn't know Christ. And so they were kind of like approaching it like that. Well, shoot, they did already. They, they messed up. You know, it's kind of like they, they didn't know how to, to really process that. And we will see that in Paul's responses. So now, we're going to look at the text again. Let's look at it again. All right, now, brothers and sisters, this time we're going to read it from the NIV. All right. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See, now, now I want you to understand from verse 13 what the issue is. 
The issue is not the time of the rapture. The issue is not anything else. The issue is they were having anxiety because they understood that the Lord was going to come back. Their concern was, and they knew they were going to get caught up when he came back. Their concern was, what happens to our loved ones that's already died? Are they lost and have no hope like the rest of the people in the world? So this is why Paul, in that 13th verse, he hits that point right away. And it sets the context for what comes after it. So that we'll have, so we'll keep it lined up right. Okay? So again, so brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the words, Lord, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are still left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a cloud, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are still left will be caught up together with him in the with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever therefore encourage one another with these words okay so now what i want to do at this point, is to play Dr. March, Mark Hitchcock in one of his lectures, and we are going to see what it is, and this is important. I want you to listen up. It's just for a couple of minutes, okay? Here we go. One other final argument. This is the B in our acronym here is the Blessed Hope. The rapture in Scripture is called the Blessed Hope in, in Titus 2.13. It says we're to be looking for the Blessed Hope. In, in 1 Thessalonians, the passage we began with uh, here uh, this morning, in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, after he goes through and talks all about the rapture, he says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The doctrine of the rapture is a soothing balm for troubled hearts. It's a blessing and a consolation to God's people. But stop and think about this for a moment. If Paul taught mid-trib or pre-wrath or post-trib, would the rapture really be that comforting? If you have to go to three and a half years or five and a half years or seven years of this time of tribulation, how much of a comfort would the rapture really be? If we have to face the tribulation before Jesus comes, Jesus would have to change those words, let not your hearts be troubled, to let your heart be troubled, right? Or Tim LaHaye, I once heard him say, would change the blessed hope to the blasted hope, uh, really. The fact to me that the rapture is a blessed hope and a comfort argues for the fact that it's pre-trib. Now, there are all... 
So, I just wanted you to hear that and hear some of the ways pre-trib reasons. So now basically, what you heard there were typical pre-trib talking points. Uh, as a matter of fact, I taught at a church uh, not too long ago and um, uh, one of the pastors was saying to me, well, this is why I kind of leave pre-trib because I, it's not real comforting to know that you got you got to die here for the Antichrist. And I'm going, man, where are these? How is it that people can be that carnal and focus in on the word comfort and use it in a way to be the litmus test, the, the line of demarcation, the deciding and the determining factor of which rapture doctrine you accept by the level of comfort it brings to you. And herein is the danger. And so this is why we're looking at this passage, ladies and gentlemen, because Mark Hitchcock is one of the top pre-trib scholars around today. He's one of the Dallas Theological Seminary boys and well-respected. Glory to God. Now, I know a lot of you may not have heard of him because the average person that studies pre-trib does not study it at a, at a scholar's level. You pick it up from you know a pastor here or there and some some uh, uh, uh some sermons here and there and you really haven't studied the nuts and bolts of the doctrine as i have and so this is why i'm a little bit more versed in it and this is why we're going to examine it remember these are my brothers and sisters we're all brothers and sisters in christ uh, uh i don't believe eschatology or what the rapture position you hold is necessarily a salvific issue now uh, what you believe about eschatology and where you end up in relationship to the, uh, if the church is still here doing the Antichrist, can have a huge impact on a person end up compromising under pressure. And this is why I am so passionate about this subject. It's fine if everything works out the way Pre-Trib says. It's just disastrous, cataclysmic. If things do not, because you're going to have people jumping ship left and right when their lives are on the line. And see, that's the problem. Today's church is not preparing Christians for that. Christians in other parts of the world go through it. Here in America and the West, forget it. We ain't trying to hear it. So let's get back into our lesson. So this is what Paul, so we're going to look at the problem. Let's just break this down. Verse number 13, this is what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. That's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. They're dealing with an issue that is causing them grief. The King James said, we don't want you to sorrow as others. So the sorrow was not over when the rapture happens. The sorrow or the sorrow wasn't about we're not going to get caught up. That wasn't the sorrow. The sorrow was about those who had already died died 
and what would happen to them if Jesus did come back in the in the time of the Thessalonians they were concerned about the ones who died already so this is the issue and this is the problem that Paul is addressing again he's not being trying to give a survey of rapture doctrines he's not doing that okay let's look at the next verse let's look at it in the NIV because I just read it to you in the NASB uh, from the NIV, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Let's look at it in the uh, Christian Standard Bible. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, that you do not grieve. See, all of, of, of these are dealing with the word grief. See, they were, they were grieving over something. Let's look at it in the uh, uh, KJV. Uh, uh, but I do not. Uh, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. The KJV uses sorrow not. So you get the idea. This is why what Paul is addressing. He's addressing the fact that these people were experiencing grief and sorrow not that the rapture wasn't going to happen not that the, none of that it was that the, the issue was the dead loved ones that had already died in Christ would they would they are they do they have the same status of or do they have the no hope status and that's why uh, he's addressing that he gets because definitely wanted to get in on that okay good so now here's the conclusion so we have the problem. The conclusion is this. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Okay, now. So the comfort is designed to address the sorrow. The problem was the sorrow. The comfort that Paul is talking about addresses the sorrow. So that's what he's trying to do. So in verse 13, you had the source of the sorrow, the source of the sorrow, which concerned the disposition of the dead loved ones in relationship to the Lord's return. That's where the source of the sorrow, that's where the conflict, that's where the issue was coming from. Okay. The Thessalonians had sorrow for their loved ones who had passed away, passed on, as if they had no hope. And so this is why this is why Paul had to deal with that. Paul responds with a not so. Those who die in Christ are not in the same status as those in the world that have no hope. Okay? So, but let's okay, let's just digress just a little bit. Let's look at the status of the unbeliever. This is the status of the unbeliever. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, KJV. Listen to this. It says, At that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, listen to that. That sounds terrible. That's scary. 
You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. All of the blessings of Israel. In other words, that came down through the Abrahamic blessings uh, uh, and, all, and all of the covenants of promise and all of that. The things that were given to Israel, the priesthood, the prophets. all, all you, you were strange from all of that. The strangers from the covenants of promise. Listen to this. Having no hope. Do you know? Do you not know that sinners, ladies and gentlemen, have no hope? They, they only believe in this life. Glory to God. That's why money is the most important thing to them. You see, you see, if they just, just listen to this. If they, if they, let's just make this assumption. Now, I'm not, you know, don't take this out of context, but I had to say it to make a point. If there was no God and there was no heaven, then living for all you could get now and obtaining as much wealth and having as much fun and, and living as jolly as you can would be the thing to do. Because after this you died, then there's nothing, right? That's how the atheist thinks. That's how the secular humanist thinks. There is nothing after this. So therefore you get it all now. And it really doesn't make a difference because if there is no hell, that means there is no heaven. If there is no heaven, if there's no heaven, there's no hell. If there's no, if there's neither one, that means there's no God. And then it means there's no judgment. And so you can just do whatever you want to do. And there is no right and wrong ultimately because all of that is, was imposed on humans by religion. That's what the secular humanist says. Used to control people. That's all that dumb philosophy they come with. That's why Paul calls it philosophy so uh, of uh, science so falsely called, philosophy so falsely called. People thinking they did when they think they knew when they think they knew something they became fools. Glory to God. The fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." You know, one one of the uh, 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 atheists uh, uh, was trying to sue. And say, well, Christians have a holiday. He said, atheists need to have a holiday. So he stood before the judge. The judge said, y'all already got a holiday. He said, what holiday is that? He said, April's Fool's Day. <laughs> because the fool <laughs> has said in his heart, there is no God. So there are, they are in the world without God, without hope. And so Paul is making this point to them that's like, not so, do not sorrow as others with no hope. This is why you don't sorrow with people with no hope. He says, I'm going to show you why. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. Now hold up, whoa, Paul, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said something. Now I'm... I'm dealing with the fact that Aunt Wilma just died. She was in the church here at Thessalonica and all that. And, 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 and I'm just dealing with that. So now you're, I, I hear what you're saying, but wait a minute, she's dead, but now you just said something that tweaked my interest. You said, even so them also which sleep in Jesus God will bring with him. Whoa! <laughs> he's he, he's going to bring them with him? You have to understand, ladies and gentlemen, there were no Bibles. There were no New Testaments. There was no... Th the book of Thessalonians to go to, Paul was... Paul had gotten these revelations while he was in Arabia for three years. And I mean... <laughs> 
Peter and John and them weren't teaching this kind of stuff. So now here's Paul downloading some heavy concepts that no one else on earth was teaching. And there were no books you could turn to. Glory to God to reference this. Glory to God. He says, so even them, them also which sleep in Jesus, God is going to bring them with him. Well, I know God is going to return, but you mean to tell me Aunt Wilma is, when she come back, she coming with God? So Paul said, man, I got some good news for y'all. So now he's telling this is Like I said, this is astounding information. You know, 1 Thessalonians was written around 50 AD or so. Almost 20 years after Christ's resurrection. No one, no known New Testament author was teaching about the rapture of the church. So now Paul is giving these people some information that they didn't have. Glory to God. The Thessalonians who were sorrowing over their dead loved ones, whom Paul said or used the metaphor sleep, because if you're asleep, that means you could be woke up, right? You're really not dead. Jesus says, "Yet when a man dies, yet shall he live, right? God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You see, the God, we just, make, we just, we just transition from one realm to another. We, we never really even stop living, but our bodies are dead. Glory to God. So let me keep going. Glory to God. He says, so Paul said they were asleep. Now learn that the, when the Lord returns, those loved ones who died in the Lord, will be, God is going to bring them with them. This was revolutionary news. No one was teaching this kind of stuff. So the Thessalonians are getting this, these fresh downloads from Paul. So he's telling them something. Glory to God. Now listen to the rest of the verse. He said, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now he's downloading something else. We're not going to precede them. In other words, they're going to get priority. For then he go, then Now he breaks it down further. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, precedence. That's what he means, that we're not going to precede them. Guess what? They're going to rise first. Then... We who are alive and remain, remain meaning still on the earth because he's going to catch the, the, the dead up first. Glory to God. And we who are alive and remain are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air. So shall we be, ever be, with, always be with the Lord. Glory to God. Apparently, the Thessalonians understood that when the Lord returned, they would be caught up. See, they, they, they got that part. It was the dead loved ones part that they, they wasn't quite connected. So Paul had to help them out. So the question wasn't about what will happen to them. The issue was what would happen to those who already died in Christ. Okay, that's what they were sorry about. 
That's what that's what was causing them anxiety. Paul then responds. Not only will the Lord bring with him when he comes, but the living will not proceed because the dead in Christ will rise first. Then the living will be caught up. That Greek word there is harpazo to meet them in the air. So really, ladies and gentlemen, when you think of the see, see the rapture doesn't it doesn't really that term doesn't really apply to the people that are dead. The dead folks are raised from the dead. That's the resurrection. Okay. Then we who are alive and remain, we're the ones who are harpazoled because we are caught up to meet them in the air. Because the, those that are resurrected, see, they come out of the graves. The ones that are living don't come out of graves. We just get changed on the spot. But that's the second, that's phase two of this event. So this event is really two parts. It's the resurrection first. Then we who are alive and remain get caught up to be with to meet them in the air because they're all they're going to be up in the air with the Lord before we are. But they don't they don't come from the same place as we do. They come out of the grave. But what comes out of the grave? What comes out of the grave is a resurrected body. Not 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 night of the living dead zombie apocalypse like you see in these bones and skeletons, all these stupid films, which are perversions of the idea of the resurrection. You know, Satan gets it and he and he twists it all up. Glory to God. Put it for human consumption because he's mocking the resurrection. Glory to God. That's what he's doing. Uh, so now the basis for their comfort. We got to look at it. Okay, what is the basis for their comfort? All right. The Thessalonians now have a complete picture because Paul just said the reason for their sorrow in verse 13 that their loved ones have uh, their loved ones have not been have not lost their hope and do not die as those who do not write, who do not know Christ who have no hope. So that's what he's addressing. He said, "No, they they're not like them, not at all, not 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 at all." Glory to God. The comfort. Of verse 18 is in response to the sorrow they were experiencing in verse 13. Glory to God. So the comfort is to comfort their sorrow. Okay? That's what the comfort was about. All right? The rapture itself was not the direct object of the comfort. But the idea that when the Lord returns, he will bring them, the dead loved ones, with him. And before the living are caught up, the dead in Christ will rise first. In this, the dead in Christ are the priority. The living are secondary. So this is how Paul says, I'm going to deal with your sorrow. The sorrow that you're having is, is, is baseless because, number one, when the Lord come back, he's going to bring them with him. <laughs> and guess what? He deals with them first. Okay? And then we who are alive and remain get caught up. So the, so the reason why he was telling them to be comforted is not so much that the rapture happens because the rapture is not the direct focus of the comfort. 
the focus of the comfort was to dispel their sorrow that they were experiencing in verse 13. So in order to get rid of the comfort, so this is in order to get rid of the sorrow, he just explained the order of things so that they don't attach their loved ones dying without any hope. Okay? So that's how it's not it's not that the rapture isn't attached at all to an overall understanding that we're eventually out of here, but the comfort was to address their sorrow, not to paint characteristically that the rapture was this litmus test of comfort for you to judge things whether you're comfortable with it or not. And see, that's how pre-trib uses it. But, and that's how Dr. Hitchcock used it, but that's not what Paul was dealing with. He used the word comfort. The better one to have used would have been that first one where he, where Jesus, where we went over the different comforts words, where he said, well, be of good cheer, you know, be happy and all of that. That's not what he was dealing with because the Thessalonians were a persecuted church, number one. The Thessalonians were not sorrowful concerning, sorrowful concerning the rapture. They understood they were going to be raptured. But they were sorrowful about the rapture, that when the rapture did happen, what about those who had died already? The rapture, the rapture being comforting was not the issue at hand, not the comforting effect of the rapture or the idea of the rapture that brings comfort. That's not what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with their sorrow. Their sorrow was in reference to the dead loved ones, okay? Being comforted here has nothing to do with the negation or the cessation of suffering, death, or tribulation because the Thessalonians were a persecuted church. So Paul didn't mean be comforted in the fact that y'all not going to go through nothing. That isn't what he was talking about because they were persecuted. They were in the midst of persecution. That persecution continued after he taught them this. It didn't stop. He wasn't teaching them be comforted as in you're not going to go through persecution. You're not going to go through no suffering. See, that's the context where Dr. Hitchcock used the word comfort because he equivocated the term to be applied to how we feel about suffering. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. And that's one of the issues with pre-trib. Is they emphasize their talking points more than a sound exegesis or sound exposition of the scriptures in this point. Now, of course, I'm not saying none of them know how to expound. <laughs> if you go to DTS, you know how to exegete the scripture, okay? But I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to to put that on the chart. I'm just saying the talking point of pre-trib uses the word comfort, as in, ooh, how comforting would it be if we're still here to be persecuted? So he, they're using the comfort, the word comfort that way. But Paul wasn't using the word comfort that way. But but they use this text to, to color comfort 
the way of meaning we're not going to be here and it wouldn't be comforting if we were still here. Paul obviously wasn't using the comfort that way dealing with this church because they were being persecuted. Okay. And that's why they had concern about their dead loved ones. For, for example, when someone comforts you, comforts you when a loved one dies, that comfort is not designed to take away your grief. Because can't nobody do that. Take away your grief so you can feel warm and fuzzy. When you go to tell somebody, that, that, that's not what that comfort is for. And they're not trying to get you warm and fuzzy. But it's designed to encourage you that you can make it. That you will survive the grief and the pain. That God will see you through the valley of the shadow of death. Comfort does not take away your sadness. Nor stop the circumstances that cause the grief. That's not what comfort does. But that's how pre-trib uses it as a rationale of why you want to be pre-trib. Because you don't want to be here to go through death because that ain't comfortable. That's not what he's saying here, ladies and gentlemen. When the pre-tribulationists, as Dr. Hitchcock say, how comforting is it to know you're going to be here for the Antichrist, misses the entire point of what Paul was making, of the point that Paul was making to the Thessalonians. Pre-trib used the idea of comfort or whatever seems like it would inspire comfort as the basis to reject other than a pre-trib rapture position. Because the other ones are all saying, no, folks, we're going to be here to go through something. That's the story that Revelation tells. Okay? So that's how pre-trib likes to put it. Besides, let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Antichrist is not the end of the story for Christians in Revelation. Do you see when he told that story? He said, uh, Tim LaHaye, that's the one who uh, wrote the uh, movie Left Behind and wrote the book, the series Left Behind. Tim LaHaye said, it would, it would go from the, if we had to be here doing the Antichrist, it would go from the blessed hope to the blasted hope. How comforting would it be? He said, the rapture wouldn't be any comfort at all if we had to be here for Antichrist. Listen to what he just said. Let me tell you something. I don't care when the rapture happens. It's, it, it, if you, it, it, to, to use their own logic, to use their own logic, if you were in the midst of being persecuted and you just got caught up in the middle of it, that would be comforting. How, how, you gonna tell, how would you say it's not going to be comforting if the Antichrist is still here? Oh, it's only comforting if you miss all of the trouble. That's how they use the word comfort. That is not how Paul was using it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 18. That is not how he's using that. He's not even addressing it from that angle. But they equivocate the term and they use it as a talking point to appeal to what people want to go through today here in America, which is absolutely nothing at all. And that's the problem. That's why people buy into that. Because it makes them feel warm and fuzzy that we don't have to be here. But that's not the comfort that Paul was talking about at all. Glory to God. Besides, Antichrist ain't the end of the story in Revelation. We're going to see that. These talking points insist that if you're here doing the Antichrist, you are a forsaken and left behind to be jailed and martyred. Where's the comfort in that? 
Oh, boy. However, the comfort comes from having, let me tell you what the comfort comes from. Comfort comes from having the book of Revelation. Where God has told us in advance what will happen during that time. And he also tells us ahead of time what's going to happen to the beast and the false prophet. What will happen to Satan? And how victorious the faithful of that time will be as they stand in the presence of God. The faithful at that time are painted in a completely different picture than what pre-trib. They, 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 they paint these people as the left behinds. I was uh, teaching not long ago at a church. And the lady said, them tribulation sin. He said, that they, they got left behind because they have un, un, unconfessed sin. Where is that in the Bible? As, before we end this lesson, we're going to look at the tribulation saints, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible doesn't say anything negative. Nothing awry about these people at all. All you see about the, tribu uh, uh, about the tribulation saints is that they are stand-up Christians who refuse to bow to Antichrist. The comfort comes in knowing the future before the future gets here. The comfort comes in knowing that Satan is defeated. His butt is going to be thrown in the bottom of his pit 4,000 years after that. He's going to be let out. And then he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. I know about what's going to happen to Satan. That's what's comforting to me that Jesus defeated death. That even if somebody cut my head off, I'm not defeated in death. I pass from death to life. I'm comforted in knowing that Jesus paid it all. That's where I'm comforted. I'm comforted in the book that tells me this is what's going to happen, y'all. I'm telling you in the beginning. You already know the end of the story. I'm going to give you a picture of heaven and everything. I'm going to let you see the golden streets. I'm going to let you experience the levels of the, uh, of, of the new Jerusalem. I'm going to tell you how big it is. I'm going to let you see it. I'm going to tell you how it's going to come down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. I'm going to tell you about the golden streets, the 12 foundations. I'm going to tell you whose names are going to be written on it. I'm going to tell you about the pearly gates. I'm going to tell you about all of the different beautiful stones. I'm going to tell you about the golden streets loaded glory to God that had made a transparent gold why why are all the levels so transparent gold so that's the because the light and the glory of God refracting through all of the levels of the transparent gold where there will be no shadows or no darkness imagine the beauty of God God's Shekinah glory refracting off of all of those gems. You have to read. We got to do this one day. We got to read Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It talks about heaven. Glory to God. The beauty of it. That's why you got streets made of transparent gold. So the glory of God. Oh, I feel the spirit. Glory to God. God has told us the end from the beginning, ladies and gentlemen. But that's what he does. This is why we have the comfort. 
The comfort doesn't come in avoiding death. The comfort comes from knowing that the best, the worst that Satan can throw at us, true believers stand up to it and don't take down. That's the story of the tribulation saints. Pre-trib has painted them as left behind sinners. Bible doesn't say that, ladies and gentlemen. That's, those are pre-trib talking points. They have to account for how is there still faithful people on earth after they claim the, the rapture had already happened in Revelation and that it doesn't apply to the church. They, they got to give a counter-narrative to the truth that they're gonna, God is going to have people here that are so faithful that they love not their lives unto the death. Ladies and gentlemen, the Thessalonians, they were accustomed to persecution. Listen to this. Thessalonians. He says, therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. For the perseverance and the faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which ye endure. Listen, he says, we ourselves speak proudly of you because y'all going through. Y'all standing fast. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Glory to God. This is first this is 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Glory to God. We began at verse 4. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is so good here. Listen to this. It says, this is a plain indication. Let, let, let me back up. Let me back up. Verse number four. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you amongst the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Verse number five, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are indeed suffering. Ladies and gentlemen, the idea is not to avoid suffering for Christ's sake. It is to embrace it. Not to have an idea of comfort that allows you to avoid it. That's not the message here at all. Paul saying this is an indication of God's righteous judgment that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for in which you did our suffering. He says, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire to dealing out the retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey. 
obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a plan in all of this. God is working a plan. Oh, this is good stuff. Verse number nine. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Listen to that, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what it says in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Listen to what Paul says. That I might know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said I don't, I don't just want to know the resurrection part. I want to know the fellowship. Being made conformed to his death. In order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I understand about the resurrection, but I need to embrace the suffering. This is a message that we don't get in America. We don't hear this in church. This is why a doctrine like pre-trib is so appeasing to us because we're not taught this part. We're not taught what the Thessalonians went through and what they were going through and how they had to still make, hear all the stuff about the rapture and still go through suffering. Still get their heads cut off. Still get uh, uh, persecuted and remain faithful. That's not a message we hear today. People aren't trying to hear that. No suffering message. Pre-trips seizes on the word comfort and uses the idea of feeling comfort or comfortable as a litmus test for the rapture position is acceptable based on how comfortable a rapture position makes you feel. You heard Dr. Hitchcock say that. I'm not making that up. I'm not mischaracterizing what that man said. That's what he said. How comforting would it be if we still had to be here? It wouldn't be the blessed hope. It will be the blessed hope. And instead of Jesus saying, let your heart be, uh, uh, let, uh, let not your heart be troubled, he'd have to say, let your heart be troubled if we were still going to be here for the Antichrist. How carnal can you be? That is not the historical message of Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry it's not. Glory to God. But when it comes to the end times, it is wise to use comfort. Is it, is it wise to use comfort as the determining factor of what is biblically true? Let me say that again. Is it wise to use comfort, how comfortable you feel and I feel, or what we want to go through and what we don't want to go through as a determining factor for what is biblically true? Should the scriptures be interpreted through the lens of what's comfortable to our posterior? This is why Hitchcock and other pre-tribbers emphasize the point, 
how comforting would it be if we were still here during the time of Antichrist? How comforting would that be? And then you use that. The idea of comfort from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 18. The verse comfort there is in response to the sorrow. Verse 13. An assurance that their dead loved ones are secured in Christ. Not hopeless as those who do not have hope are in Christ are. Comfort in this context was not at all suggesting that there would be no more tribulation or persecution of the saints of Thessalonica. Because that wasn't the, tr that wasn't the case. Paul was not saying be comforted in the fact that you will escape persecution or that there will be no tribulation for future Christians. The comfort that the Thessalonians experienced after learning what Paul taught was reassuring even in the midst of their persecution. Then Hitchcock, like most pre-trib, conflate the idea of comfort from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, verse 18 with the idea of the blessed hope, which is Titus 2.13. However, in Titus 2.13, the blessed hope is not the rapture. The rapture isn't even referred to in that text. The blessed hope is the appearing of our Lord. Not the rapture. One cannot look for the rapture because it happens in the twinkling of an eye. You can wait on it, but you can't look for it. How do you look for the rapture? But you can look for the Lord, the appearing of the Lord. It doesn't say the appearing of the rapture in that text. It doesn't mention the rapture in that text. But what they do is they conflate the blessed hope with the idea of comfort, and they put it in one package. They say, ooh, isn't that comforting to know that if we had to be here for the Antichrist, we, we'd, be, we'd, we'd be miserable. And that, that would make me say, oh, oh, getting your head cut, cut off hurts. And so since that's pain, how comfortable is pain? And then they put all that together and say, that's why I'm pre-tria. Because I believe that, you, that it got it, it to filter through my comfort meter first. And if it, if it don't filter to my comfort meter and I mean to go to the red, that ain't, that ain't, that's not the right doctrine for me. Well, that ain't got nothing to do with the truth, what your comfort meter feel. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't determine the outcome of biblical truth, what your comfort meter feels. But that's what pre-trib appeals to because it feels good. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the rapture is not an end within itself, but it's the means by which we are gathered to the Lord. Let me say that again. The rapture is not a means within itself, but it is the means by which we are gathered to the Lord. The Lord is the end. The Lord is where we're going. Let me give you an example. If you were going to go to a five-star restaurant on the top floor of some high-rise building, you don't make the elevator ride up to the restaurant the primary event. <laughs> How you gonna blow up the elevator ride to the restaurant? Now you go into this five-star restaurant, eat you some steak and lobster and lamb chops and all that, and have you some, you know, whatever you gonna enjoy and all of that. How do, and, and the beautiful view up high, and you just have a good time. How do you make the elevator ride the most important thing? 
The rapture is the means by which we get to. It's not the means. Pre-trib makes the rapture the prominent thing, puts that out there first, attaches the word comfort to it, and then they create a concept about the rapture. Listen, when the rapture does happen, it's going to happen so fast that you're not even going to be able to perceive what just went on. If it happens in a twinkling of an eye, well, we'll kind of know it because the day is going to rise first. We don't know. We don't know how long that's going to take. That, that, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be. We're going to talk about the rapture. That is going to be some event, okay? But let's get back to where I was going. The rapture is how we get to the Lord. However, pre-trib makes it the main event. The concept of the rapture has been popularized and romanticized. As the main event. It's not the main event. The Lord coming back to get us. To take us to the place. Where God prepared for us. Is the main event. The rapture is just how we get there. Glory to God. Listen to this. The real comfort. The Thessalonians received. Was from knowing what Paul said. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. That the Lord will punish those that trouble them. Lord, that's a powerful passage when he returns. He also comforted them by saying the persecution was a manifest token of God's righteous judgment. In other words, there's a purpose for the, 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 the persecution. God sees it and he's going to use it to work it. Avoidance of suffering is not the biblical message. It never has been. Comfort was never based on the fact that we would avoid persecution nor based on feeling comfortable. That is just not the case. Listen to this. Let me read this text again. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Listen to what he says. He said, so we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. He said, we are actually glorying in the fact that you are going through this because you're maintaining your faith. You're holding on. And the fact that you're going through this and you're maintaining faith and holding on is a manifest token of God showing that you're worthy of the kingdom of God that you suffer for. See, we, see, we detach the idea of suffering and we just look at the pain part of it and, and, and how uncomfortable and painful and disagreeable that is with us. But we forget the persecution that God allows to come to us is working for us. It's dividends in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, glory to God. It's dividends in heaven. Paul doesn't say in this passage, that we are praying for your comfort. <laughs> he doesn't say that. We are praying for your deliverance. Paul said we glory 
for you, for your patience and faith in the midst of your persecution. Listen to that. And you, verse number seven, he says, and you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame and fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. See, Jesus is going to be glorified in the saints that suffer because that's what he did. See, this is why Paul talked about, I want to get to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. And the, I want to get to know him in the power of his resurrection, being made conformable to his death, that I might be also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Because if you're united with him in all of that, then therefore you are going to experience the fullness of God's redemption. You experience it. And so this is why people like Paul said, look, when it was time for him, him to get his head cut off, he said, come on with it. I'm ready to be offered up. He didn't even see it as being killed, ladies and gentlemen. He said, I'm being offered up. That was how he put it. Peter said, crucify me upside down. I don't want them mixing me up with Christ. Stephen said, Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen said, Lord, don't even put it on their account. Stephen was cool with it. The people was mad as heck because Stephen gave them a historical rebuke. But he was full of the Holy Ghost. He said, Lord, look, after Stephen looked up and seen Jesus standing up, he said, <laughs> He said, Lord, don't even, don't even put it on their account, Jesus. You too good. They don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. They're fools. Don't put it on their account. Let's look at some more scriptures that deal with suffering. First Corinthians, I mean, Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 18. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the life also that Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we live, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, worketh in us, but life in you. For we have the same spirit of faith according to it is written. I believe, therefore I have speaking. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord, the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall be present with us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but through our outward, though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. 
Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to get this. I want you to run with this one. It says, verse number 17, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Listen to this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now listen to that. Paul said, our light affliction. In other words, the sufferings of this world ain't nothing compared to the glory that you're going to get. This is why Paul taught that Christians should embrace the idea of the sufferings of Christ. Don't avoid those. Don't run from them because they're working for you. It is a manifest token of God's righteous judgment that he allowed you to suffer for him. It's a privilege to suffer for God. Listen to some of these scriptures. Romans 7, 8, 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs of Christ, if so, that if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Philippians 1.29, listen to this. It says, for you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. How many times have you hear, heard that one preached in church? Glory to God. 1 Thessalonians 3 and 4, for verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it shall come to pass and ye know. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall also suffer persecution. Glory to God. Listen to what Romans 8 uh, 35 through 39 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Any tribulation, the tribulation, any tribulation, can it separate you from Christ? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or the peril, or the sword. Listen to how Paul deals in the next verse. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Glory to God. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities, that, that death nor life, that, no matter how you die, death can't do it. Death can't do it. Nor angels, that's Satan, the, the demon that comes out of the bottomless pit, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come. That includes Daniel's 70th week. That includes the times of revelation. Nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 4 and 5. He says, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, then after that can do no more. After that 
have no more they can do. But I forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him which after he had killed had the power to cast into hell. Yea, I say to you, fear him. If a thousand antichrists walked in a room, all they can do is kill you one time. What are we doing even being afraid of something like that? That's why John said, you heard the Antichrist is going to come. He said, yeah, he's coming. It's, a, it's already a bunch of little ones. That's how you know it's the final, it's the last hour. Ooh. Listen to this one, ladies and gentlemen. Hebrews 11.35 through 38. Others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they may gain an even better resurrection. What, what, look, I can drop the mic right there. I can just drop the mic with that one. These, old, these were Old Testament saints. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, listen to their faith. It's still faith in the same God. Still, the Old Testament ain't got nothing to do with it. They've always persecuted God's people. This has always been. Glory to God. It said, listen, there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, that they maintain a better resurrection. In other words, they put their toes in the fire and said, look, we're going to put your other foot in there. He said, no, go ahead on, man. Don't stop now. We, we cutting you in half. He said, keep cutting. Don't stop now. Oh, we'll let you go if you just do not look. No, mm -mm. keep on refusing to be released. Who are they teaching this in church today? We're not. We're not hearing this in church. There were saints who were being tortured, ladies and gentlemen, and refusing to be released. They were probably saying, "Come on, man, you can end this now." He said, "No, keep on going." Some face jeers and flogging, even chains of an imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Listen to this. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Listen to what that, that footnote. The world was not worthy of these people. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They forsake all because they loved God and wouldn't go back. Are we hearing that message today? We're not hearing that. We're here. Oh, we're not going to be here. We're going to go. Oh, if I was here in the Antichrist, what comfort would that be? That ain't comfortable, Jesus. And so I ain't going to believe that other stuff because it'll make me feel warm and fuzzy. And if I can't feel warm and fuzzy about my Christianity, I ain't going to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, please. We have become a bunch of spaghetti back marshmallow Christians. Especially here in America, believe in this garbage. Listen what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 28. I'm, I'm loading you up tonight. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life 
shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and then lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Listen to that. These are the, this is the same warning he gives in Revelation 22 uh, uh, verse number 12, listen, it says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. That passage that I just read to you in Matthew 16 is an eschatological passage. Because why? Because it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Well, that's talking about his parousia. That's his second coming, ladies and gentlemen. This is an end time scripture. It's saying if you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you're not willing to pick up your cross, you are not worthy of Jesus. And it's going to come down to it one day. You're going to see. I think the reason why a lot of people don't want to deal with the tribulation or the persecution of the Antichrist is because they have not resolved in themselves of whether they would remain faithful under such circumstances. They haven't resolved that. But you better think about that. You know the reason why you better think about that? You might have your butt on a plane going to Europe or going to Dubai or going to somewhere else in this world. And what if it's hijacked by some, some extremist somewhere and they ask you, are you a Christian? You know, that's happened before. You could die for the faith right now. You may not die right here in the United States for it, but you might be over. You know, all you millennials, y'all like to get on a plane and fly everywhere. Glory to God, all over the world and stuff every two weeks. You know, they send, they, they send you that, that, that one of them deals on your cell phone. You can't resist. You get marketed. You get played to transfer your wealth. I'm getting off on my soul box. I, I'm getting off on the tangent here. I tell my nieces and nephews, quit transferring your wealth to people who market you. You taking them trips because you get marketed. <laughs> they hustling you. <laughs> there you on a plane somewhere. One of these other countries. What if somebody put a gun to your head? What you going to do? Say, oh, Jesus, uh, uh, you know, I told you, I, I, I denied you, but, you know, I, I got them tickets. I got them cheap on uh, 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 Expedia, you know, Expedia.com. You know, I, I, I got I got these tickets. I, it was a, it was a deal, and I should have been on a plane anyway. And, you know, and I, I just wanted to go on my trip and get my brains blown. That just wasn't, just wasn't on my itinerary. So I denied you. All right, see how that works. This could happen to you, ladies and gentlemen. But you know what? Persecution of the Antichrist is not the end of the story. You know, even how how uh, <laughs> how uh, 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 Hitchcock did. He said, "Oh, if you were there for them, what what comfort would that be if you're here to get killed by the Antichrist?" Well, getting killed by the Antichrist—that's not the end of the story. <laughs> them saints end up in those saints end up in heaven. I, I don't get it. You know. The comfort that the saints have is knowing ahead of time that they will win in the end and have eternal life and are honored in heaven. This is the purpose of the book of Revelation. was to show the end from the beginning where the triumphant and the righteous are put on full display. See, that's the purpose of the Revelation. Listen to this. Let's listen to this. We're about to get into this. We're going to be closing here in a minute. Revelation 
7, 9 through 11. Listen to what NASB. After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation of all tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, worshiping God. Now that's these tribulation saints. Why y'all feeling sorry for them? Look where they end up. They, they end up in heaven before God. It's like these people were some kind of uh, illegitimate re reject left behind. The Bible doesn't say anything close to them. There's nothing negative at all said about the tribulation saints. Listen, but let's 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 look at this. We're go we're gonna look at the passages of scripture that actually talk about the tribulation saints. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation 13, 8-10. All the inhabitants will worship the beast. Number one. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb who was slain for the foundation of the world. So the implication of that, that is, the people that get the mark of the beast, their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. The ones who refuse to do it, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the tribulation saints. Their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what Jesus told his disciples. He said, don't, don't marvel because the demons are subjects to you. Marvel that your name is written in heaven. Dude, that's the important thing. That's where it counts. Okay? Whosoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now, now these are the tribulation saints. Now, the, 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 remember I was telling you about this lady who said something to me about, oh, the reason why they got left behind because of unconfessed sin. These were the ones that got, didn't make the rapture cut. They had one foot in the world, one foot out of the world. They was in the club. They was whoremongering and fornicating and, and, and smoking dope and all that. The horn blew. They got left behind and then they was caught with their pants down, right? Okay, that is not, that. those are pre-trib talking points. There is nothing, ladies and gentlemen, negative ever said about the tribulation saints in the book of Revelation. There's nothing ever said bad about them. Every time you see the tribulation saints, the first time we are introduced to them, they are in heaven praising God and serving God. Where's the negative in that? Then the next time we see the tribulation saints, it's Revelation 13. I just read it to you, 8 through, 20, 8 through 10. So this is what happens. We are told that the people who don't get the mark of the beast, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So that means these people are saved. They were saved from the foundation of the world, ladies and gentlemen. That's how their names got in the book. So that the whole idea that they're left behind because they had unconfessed sin is stupid. Where are y'all getting that from? You didn't get, show me that passage in the Bible so I can move on. Glory to God, I'll move on, but show it. email me. Y'all got my email address, email me the passage that says, oh, the tribulation says they got left behind because they had unconfessed sin and they just wasn't right. 
That's a pre-trib talking point because they have to explain away the fact that these people, they're still people who are faithful to God, that are Christians, that are serving God, that are still the church. They got to explain it away by saying, well, they got left behind and they get it right later. Where do you find that in the Bible? That is a stupid argument. It's dumb to say that. Verse number 10, it says, if anyone goes and will go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. In other words, the Bible is saying, listen, those of you that are around at that time, those are the church that's around, the generation of church saints that are still here at that time. He says, when it comes your turn, if it comes for you, don't resist. You'll be just like Jesus when they came for him. He didn't resist them. Uh, Stephen didn't resist them. Peter didn't resist them. You don't hold out no room with no AI-15 talking about your First Amendment rights. You're going to kill, take as many of them down as you can. That's not what the Bible is calling for here. It's calling for you to comply, to lay it down because you are a living sacrifice that's giving glory to God. Because you got to understand there's a purpose in the suffering. There's a purpose in why God permitted them, glory to God, to go into captivity. It said, if anyone is to go into captivity, in the captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. God is giving full warning. Why do you think he's giving a full warning? We have the comfort in knowing we already know what's going to happen. Glory to God. Then, listen, now I did miss a scripture in Revelation 13 where it talks about, and, Anna, and it was permitted that it would God permitted that Antichrist to make war with the saints. In other words, Antichrist cannot even do it on his own. I think that's Revelation 13, 6 or 7. Glory to God. He said he, he, he can't do it on his own. He's permitted to do it because these sacrifices are giving God the glory. God allows it to happen just like he allowed God, Satan to have at Job. God was making a point with Satan. He let him have it. He said, you can have it. The only thing you can't do is don't kill it. You can kill his kids, though. Just think of that. God let that let the devil kill that man's kids. You, you, those of you who are parents, you would die before your kids did. God let that man, let the devil kill that man's kids. He was making a point. Glory to God. And then when Job got his britches big enough to say, you shouldn't have let me be born, cursed the day of the God said, look, I got some, I got a retort for you. You think you know something? You think you're going to come to me and ask me why I let you go through this? Where were you when I formed the world? Where were you? Where's, he said, I tell you what, I'll answer your question. You answer mine first, you old man. He said, stand up like an old man and answer me. Boy, I'd I'd have, look, you think Daniel fainted when he seen that angel. I just imagine me just melting right in the ground. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. For real, though. I take that back. Can I take it back, God? Because, see, look, you just don't want God to go there on you. God went had to go there on Job. Job had got the smell in itself. See, see, we, we talk about the, the piety and the faith of Job, and he was. He was a good man, but there was a point where he said, curse it be the day I was born. See, once he stepped into that, now he got into providential. God said, I'm the one who bought you in this world. You don't tell me curse the day you was there. You don't say it. you shouldn't have been born. Who you think you're talking to? How you don't tell me nothing like that. I bought you here. I let the devil kill your kids. I let the devil take all that stuff. 
I got a plan for you, though. Just shut up and deal with it. Because you're going to see that Job ended up with twice everything. Had some more daughters. That was the finest girls in all of, on all of, all the world. <laughs> of course, I don't know how much comfort that bought him. You know, it's, it's hard on a dad if he got a pretty daughter. I mean, he loved him and everything, but he know all of me trying to beat these guys off, right? <laughs> you know, I got to throw some humor in there. All right, Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 through 13. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on their forehead or the right hand, they too will be punished. They too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength in the cup of his wrath. See, the wrath of God has not been poured out yet because they gotta, the mark of the beast has to be in place. The abomination of desolation has to be in place. God is going to get them, but he doesn't pour it out yet. He's, he waits. There's certain points he's got to wait. So they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and, and with the lamb. That's going to happen at, the, at, at the, second, the second death. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast's image and for anyone who receives the mark of his name. John MacArthur, you're going to answer to God for telling people they can get the mark of the beast. I don't care how many doctors you got. I don't care what kind of words or language you use to justify telling people that lie. You are going to answer for God for telling his church that. Verse number 12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people, the people of God, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. You see, you have to understand what's going on here. God sends three angels to the world, one that preaches the everlasting gospel, because <laughs> the doors of grace are not closed yet. Two, the announcement of Babylon has fallen. Three, to, to ensure that people get the message not to take the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast will be a unique sin that happens under, at a unique time in human history under the, uh, uh, under the dictates of a unique dictator. So because all of that is unique, the mark, getting the mark of the beast is a unique sin. So since it is a unique sin, God calls, sends an angel to the planet to tell everybody don't do it. It ain't just going to be written in the Bible. He's actually going to send an angel to yell it out. There'll be no excuse. Glory to God. Because the pressure to get the mark of the beast will be tremendous. And so he sends the angel to encourage those that are remaining faithful to Jesus and keeping his commandments. These are straight up Christians, ladies and gentlemen, who are not wavering during the worst time in world history. How then could they have been people that was just in a bar two weeks ago and now they got left behind? They, wasn't, they weren't righteous enough or steadfast enough to get caught up in, a in the rapture, but now, but somehow they find the fortitude in the worst time in human history. That's poppycock. The rapture hasn't happened yet. I'm going to show you when the rapture happens. This calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. These aren't mamby-pamby Christians. These are straight-up Christians holding on in the worst time in world history. Now listen to this. Verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now, 
Just think about what, what uh, 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 Pastor Hitchcock said. How, how much comfort would it be if we are still here to get, to get killed by the Antichrist? It wouldn't be the blessed hope. It would be the blasted hope. Instead of saying, let your heart not be troubled, it would be, let your heart be troubled. That's a lie. Listen to what the scripture here. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from our own. God is calling them blessed. Not cursed, not forsaken. And this is coming from whom? The Holy Spirit Himself, the Comforter. When you talk about what comfort would it be? You have the Comforter Himself telling these people, hold on, you're going to heaven. How much comfort do you need? Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Listen to that. Hitchcock said they, 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 they would be forsaken, the blasted hope. What comfort would it be? The Bible calls them blessed. Blessed are them that die. Not blessed in that hide out and make it. Blessed in that give it up. God is looking at it. He said, my son gave it up. Peter gave it up. All the apostles gave it up. He says, blessed are they who do that. They love not their lives unto the death. Ooh, God loves that. Their sacrifices, the fifth seal. They're under the altar saying, God, when can we get payback? He said, you got to wait a little while. He said, I got some more that's going to die just like you did. And when that number is full up, we can get ready to go. Can't go yet. Because there's some more, y'all. God already knows the number that's going to die. He, it's all part of his plan. People be acting like God done lost. Because God ain't lost no control. And some people dying? Come on, we all going to die. That's <laughs> part of life. So look. Now right after. Now this is, I want you to get this. Right after the Holy Spirit says this. Then this is what happens. Revelation 14. 14 through 16. Then I looked and there was before me a white cloud. And seated on the white cloud was one like the Son of Man. With a gold, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him that was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So when he was seated, he was seated on the cloud, cloud, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Oh, glory to God. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. Harvest can be metaphors for both salvation and judgment. For example, let's look at some salvation harvest metaphors. Matthew Chapter 9, 37 to 38. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest is truly plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore for the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Glory to God. So that's the salvific harvest. John 4, 34 to 36. 
My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and the harvest of the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the harvest of salvation, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to this one. Luke 8, 4-8 in the King James. He said, when much people were gathered together, they will come to him out of every city. And he spake a parable. He said, a sower went out to sow the seed. And as, and as he sowed, some fell, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls, of the, the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Then some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up with it and choked it. And the other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he, cr he cried, He that hath an ear, let him hear. See, that's one of Jesus' famous uh, uh, declarations when he taught truths. He that hath an ear, let, you, let him hear. That's why you hear it in the book of Revelation. Glory to God. Now, Jesus breaks the parable down. This is what he says. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, because we're talking about why the term harvest is so important. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside of those are they that hear, then the devil, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So some, some people hear the gospel, never get saved because the devil steal it. Then on the rocks are they which when they hear and receive the word with joy, these have no root, which for a while they believe, and in a time of temptation they fall away. Then they which have fell among thorns are they which have heard and go forth, and are choked with the cares and riches and the pleasures of this life, life and bring no fruit to fruition. That's very important, ladies and gentlemen. Some of the things that choke the word out is the pursuit of riches and the, and the cares of this life. Then they say they bring no fruit to perfection. But on good ground are they which are honest and good heart, having heard the word and keep it, they bring forth fruit. See, this is the whole purpose of the harvest, ladies and gentlemen. The gospel is preached in the earth realm. When we are saved, we are born again by that seed. But the seed brings forth fruit, not just fruit of the Spirit, but it manifests those things. But it also brings fruit of servitude for good work, for God, uh, uh, for, for we are God's workmanship. But God has foreordained, he has saved us unto good works that he has foreordained that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. So there, there is, there, after the seed is germinated in you 
and the word comes forth, it's supposed to bring forth fruit and, 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 and bear and you bear fruit. Well, if you are bearing fruit at a certain time, it's going to come harvest time. The one who sowed the seed in your heart is going to want his fruit. And this is the metaphor of the harvest, ladies and gentlemen. And so this is why in the book of Revelation, he said, listen. The angel said, the, the harvest is ripe. It's ready, Lord. Take your sickle and go get your fruit. The fruit is the church, ladies and gentlemen. We should be bearing fruit, all of us. Glory to God. But there is a judgment part of harvest. Let me give you an example. Joel 3, 13 and 15. It says, put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. See, this is, the, this is the other harvest. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near, the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be turned to darkness, and the stars shall withdraw from their shining. This is the day of the Lord scenario. This is the other harvest. Glory to God. So, this is why in Revelation... We see both harvests. We see the Lord getting his harvest. Then nothing else is mentioned. But now here comes the judgment harvest. Listen to this. Revelation 14 through 17 through 20. It says, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire. And he cried, and he cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even into the horses' bridles, by the uh, space of 1,600 furlongs, which is about 180 miles. Now, let me just say this. This is two different harvests, ladies and gentlemen. You have a soul's harvest that the Lord gets, and you have a judgment harvest that these get, but in other versions, it's called grapes. But these are thrown in the wine press of the wrath of God. Now what pre-trib does, he takes that first one and says, all this is judgment. The Lord's wasn't judgment. His harvest is something different. And guess what ends up happening? We got to go. <laughs> Listen to this. So let's just recap. Real quick on these tribulation saints. First of all, the tribulation, are, the tribulation saints are seen in heaven standing before God amongst great adulation. That's Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. I'm going to give you the verses. These are all of the references. Then there's a digression in Revelation 13 because Revelation 7 already shows them in heaven. See, see. The, the story starts out with the tribulation saints in heaven. It doesn't start out with them being persecuted. Then it digressed, Revelation 13. Then the digression. Antichrist is permitted to make war against the saints. 
That's Revelation 13, 7. Okay? Christ then calls for the patient endurance of the saints to remain faithful, though being imprisoned and martyred. That's Revelation 13, 10. It says those who are going to be uh, taken into captivity will go into captivity. Those who are going to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they're going to be killed. Then he tells them this is calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints. All talking about the tribulation saints, ladies and gentlemen. Then the next time we hear about the tribulation saints is Revelation 14. That's when the third angel warns the world not to take it a mark of the beast. Once again, the Lord calls for patient endurance of the saints who keep God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, this is the last time the tribulation saints are seen on earth in this text right here. It's the last time, ladies and gentlemen. Then number five, then the son of man on the clouds reaps his harvest. Okay, the, uh, uh, the one before that, the, uh, when, the, when, when uh, the saints are the Lord, where the angel warns the world not to take on the mark of the beast. Once again, the Lord calls for the, then he calls for the patient endurance of the saints for those who keep God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. That's Revelation 14, 12 through 13. He's still talking to the tribulation saints. Then the Son of Man comes and gets his harvest. Revelations 14, four, uh, uh, 14 through 16. Then the next day that happens to the, the tribulation saints, the tribulation saints are now seen in heaven. Revelation 15, 1 through 8. Now, then, they, then they're seen in heaven. Glory to God. Before the angels with the bowls of the wrath of God are even sent to pour their bowls of wrath out on the world, the tribulation saints are seen in heaven. They up there singing, got harps and everything. Because they got victory over the mark of the beast. Why are they in heaven? How did they get there? When the Lord got his when the Lord got his harvest. It was time for them to go. So the tribulation saints are taken off of the earth before the wrath, the bowls of the wrath of God and Revelation 16 are poured out. In that sense, they were not appointed to the wrath of God because they're in heaven before the wrath of God is poured out. I didn't put that in there. That's in Revelation. The tribulation saints are then seen in the first resurrection as, as they, uh, and it says they will reign and rule with Christ during the millennium. That's Revelation 20 verses 4 through 6. So this is the, this is the legacy of the tribulation saints in Revelation. It starts in Revelation 7. They're already in heaven. Then it goes to Revelation 13, where they're saying their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They were permitted to be persecuted by, by, uh, 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 by Satan. God permitted it to be so. Uh, then it, and, and then they, it's called for their patient endurance. Then after that, uh, the angel comes and warns about the mark of the beast. He's speaking to those on the earth. He's, he's encouraging the tribulation saints to just hold on. Don't take the mark, because if you do, you're going to burn. You're going to be toast. Then after that, the Son of Man comes and gets his harvest. Then you don't hear about the tribulation saints. No more on earth. The next time you see them, Revelation 15, they're in heaven. Now, find the narrative about these tribulation saints being some poor, left-behind people who was in the bar who didn't make the rapture cut. Where's that at? 
That's not in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. Revelation never says anything negative about these people at all. Now, listen to what Dr. Dwight Pentecost says about the tribulation saints. This is what he says. It is only insisted that uh, he's speaking of the, uh, the Holy Spirit being the restrainer taken away. He said, it is only insisted that the particular ministries of the Holy Spirit to the believer in this age, such as baptism, being baptized in the body of Christ, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 and 13, the indwelling of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, verse 20, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, uh, Ephesians 1, 13, uh, 4, 30, and the filling, Ephesians 5, 18, do terminate. In other words, he's saying when the Holy Spirit is taken, all of the things that I just named, that stops. So this is why they say the tribulation saints aren't the church. Because they say the Holy Spirit's ministries of baptizing, infilling, sealing to the day of redemption, uh, uh, that, that terminates when the restrainer is taken away. This is what he says. This is what Dr. Walvor says. It is little evidence that believers will be indwelt by the Spirit during the tribulation. The tribulation period seems to revert back to the Old Testament condition in several ways. And in the Old Testament period, saints were never permanently indwelt except in isolated incidents, though a number of incidents of the infilling of the Spirit and empowering for service are found. Taking all of the factors into consideration, there is no evidence for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in believers in the tribulation. If believers are indwelt during the tribulation, however, it would also follow that they are sealed by the Spirit, the sealing with being his own presence in them. Since all of the Spirit's ministries to the believer today depend upon his indwelling presence, the absence of this prevents all the dependent ministries to the tribulation saints. In other words, he is saying the tribulation saints do not have the benefit of being infilled by the Holy Spirit. They do not have the benefit of being sealed to the day of redemption. They do not have the benefit of being the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said they don't get any of that. And the reason why he says that is because they say the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, which we prove them wrong. So if the Holy Spirit is not the restrainer, then none of what I just read to you can be true, Dr. Pentecost. So this is the problem with saying that the tribulation saints are some left behind weak people. That is not the truth. The Bible does not paint them that way. Tribulation talking points do. Oh, glory to God. And so... Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to support this ministry, I just wanted to I would, okay, get ready to stop here because uh, I know I've been long. Uh, you can send do, uh, donations or comments to Power of the Holy Ghost Deliverance Ministries, Post Office Box 1239, Matson, Illinois, 60443. The phone number is 877-267-7477. Or you can send an email to phdministries 400 at att.net. Now remember, we're going to start our new series on my book, Counterfeit Charisma, The Age of False Prophet. You're not going to want to miss that series because the book is intense, okay? All right, God bless you. Love you in Jesus' name. You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities.
Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You must know the times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the tribulation period, the nation of Israel, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon, the rapture of the church, the return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times, by Dennis James Woods, at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.